Hey everyone, welcome back to another exciting episode of the Lifestyle Practice Podcast. You've got myself, Dr. Derek Williams, today, and I'm really excited to have on one of my clients. Welcome to Dr. Donald Yang. How you doing, Donnie? Good. How's it going? Been a long listener of the podcast, so excited to be one of the guests. Yeah, yeah, it's always fun. I mean, it kind of puts things in in context if you've been following for a long time. So yeah, awesome. I'm excited. Yeah, me too. So you are in California. Let me go ahead and just kind of let you take the floor for a little bit. Tell all, all the listeners a little bit, bit of background about yourself, you know, your situation growing up. How did you get to where you are now as a practice owner in California? Yeah, sure. So my parents initially pushed me into healthcare and specifically dentistry since my dad is a dentist. And I saw my dad growing up and I thought, hey, this doesn't look that hard. And I just rolled with it. Um, it wasn't really until I was in my second year of dental school that you know I, I found out that my parents weren't going to pay for my student loans. And I was going to graduate with five hundred and thirty thousand dollars of student debt, and you know, as a twenty-four year old, I was like, "Holy shit, I have to do something about this." So, I did all the research I can, Dental Town, everything back then, and eventually started listening to podcasts, joining Facebook groups, listening to other business books, dental books, all that. So I worked a year in Oklahoma after graduating just to get some experience under my belt. While I was there, I was just looking over many practices to buy. I visited a couple practices in California and even had one fall through. Luckily, in the end, I was able to buy a four-op bread and butter practice that was pretty close to my hometown. There was no transition period since the seller had surgery the day after I stepped in, actually. Yeah. Yeah. So a little bit about the background. What was the transition like? I mean, all of us that have gone into ownership kind of understand this. And, and there's a lot that are looking at going into ownership that basically, like you try and foresee what challenges there are going to be. You try and kind of think through everything and that can be tough to do. So what kind of things did you experience that you expected versus things that were unexpected? Yeah, so I think besides the obvious COVID challenges, since I bought right before COVID, right. the biggest things were, you know, leadership that you aren't really taught in school. You're never taught how to manage a team. You're always surrounded by peers rather than staff. You kind of have to guide. And I was basically trying to do what the seller did in terms of dentistry and thinking I would produce the same. So he was a Delta premier practice. He only did bread and butter, but he was a pretty lean, mean machine in his practice. I didn't do any extractions or root canals until years later. So I lost a lot of my confidence and experience that I learned in my time in Oklahoma. And Bread and butter work very well as a Delta Premier practice, but it doesn't really work You know, when you go down to PPO and 50% of the patients were Delta patients. So felt quite a bit of a drop the first year because of that. And the seller was already fairly aggressive, so there wasn't a lot of meat on 
the table that you usually see after the typical 70-year-old dentist right. sells a practice. Yeah, so he retired early and wasn't really slowing down at that time. So in order to add opportunity, I had to you know, do a lot more specialty procedures, be more efficient, um, and look into other areas of opportunity. Uh, I think in terms of... So let me interrupt you real quick. Uh, so on as far as you talking about not doing extractions and, and root canals, mm-hmm. was that kind of, was that just, I don't know, kind of like lack of comfort or like you're so busy and you didn't want to do those things? And a follow-up question is, you know, if you could go back, would you change that approach at all? I definitely think so. So one of the reasons I wasn't doing those was just because the seller wasn't. So I thought that that's what the patients liked, just going out to a specialist. But in hindsight, you know, I wish I started doing those right away because it's a great benefit for the patient, you know, for extraction, say, when the tooth is out, the tooth is out, you know, like you're Sometimes it's a lot easier for you just to do it right there than sending them to the specialist. You know, many people, they don't like going to five different offices to get, you know, work done. They'd rather everything kept in-house. I think also it would have helped the production quite a bit at the beginning. Another reason why I wasn't doing those procedures was honestly laziness and just busyness with other things. So because he didn't have the equipment the staff weren't trained to, you know, set up and like we didn't have the equipment for everything. We just, there's a little bit more of a threshold for me to start doing those procedures, basically. Yeah. And so I think it's interesting. I think, you know, and we're going to kind of get more into this, but a lot of, a lot of what goes into your mind is, oh, what, what are the patients thinking? Right. I mean, you right. go into this acquisition and it's all, you know, you're trying to fill the, the shoes of the seller. You know, you're always like just a little bit on edge as far as like, what, what do the patients think? What do the staff think? And you're kind of like, it's, it's a tough situation because it is your practice and you want to make it your own, but you almost <laughs> struggle with this line of like, almost being a people pleaser a little bit because you have to be you have to kind of maneuver this fine line right right and i think i remember you even saying that on your first week or something of ownership you broke or you perfed you know during endo yeah and i think one of my friends said you know when you buy a practice your balls shrivel up a little bit so i think it was a little bit of that too now that these were my patients i didn't want to have any you know root canal mess ups in my own practice. Yeah. So I think that's where some of the fear was. Yeah, makes sense. Any other top things that you would put on that list as far as challenges that you expected or didn't expect? Yeah. So I think overall, I am a little bit too friendly with my staff. And I still think that still holds true. I assume my staff and other people are as ambitious as I am and, you know, as we are. So I hate reminding people to do things. I would, you know, have new protocols at a staff meeting or training like many dentists do, but I don't really follow up on it. So that's definitely one of my weaknesses. And prior to coaching, I would rarely present multiple crowns and bigger treatment plans on a patient due to fear of the patient thinking I'm over treatment planning, which I know is a very common issue as well. Yeah. So we're going to spend, I would like to spend, you know, a decent amount of time 
during this episode, kind of digging into those things, because I think that's extremely common. And I think if we can kind of connect the dots and say, like, what are the root beliefs and what are like the root causes that are leading to us treating staff and treating patients in this certain way, and we can kind of go in and change that that helps a lot. And then the, the, the second part of it is kind of like the technical challenge. How do we, how do we communicate these types of things to patients? Right. So prior to coaching, I feel like I've already learned a lot from TLP. So like I said before, I've been listening since its inception, since episode one. And I've always really resonated with the idea of front-loading your success since that whatever you do at the beginning will compound over your career, kind of like in investing. And I feel like your coaching is really big on leadership, which is one of my weaknesses. And the fact that the coaches take, you know, eight to 12 weeks off while working three days a week is very inspirational and almost unfathomable to me. So it taught me that I'm very far from my practice ceiling, which is, you know, a good thing. There's a lot of room for improvement. And I feel like we know what we need to do, but sometimes we just need someone to tell us to do it. So in our current age, I feel like there's too much information out there from, you know, social media, Facebook groups, this and that. And even Michael Jordan, Kobe Bryant, and you know, a lot of other famous athletes all had coaches. And I remember Derek, you saying that, you know, you don't doubt that we'll reach our goals, but with coaching, we'll reach it in 12 months, you know, instead of five years. Yeah. Yeah. I completely resonate with that. I mean, I'm in the past few months, I've, you know, been kind of redeveloping my life goals and kind of deciding, hey, where do I want to, where do I want to get? What do I want to do? And how do I step it up? And I'm wanting to continually push myself. So I'm actually, I, I just hired a new coach myself that, and he's in Arizona. He only meets face to face. And so I'm flying out to Phoenix tomorrow morning to, to meet with him for my first session. So, oh, wow. and, and I view it the same way. I, I view it like, I could get there and I could do these things myself, but I totally agree. There's so much information that it's almost like if you can get someone that's outside of your own head that has been there, has done it, has kind of like understands the information, they can guide you along the way and they can help you focus on the correct material and the correct things to focus on so that you end up just accelerating your success significantly. Yeah, I totally agree. Do you want to talk about TLP Academy or do you want to just jump into... Yeah, I can talk a little bit about that first. Did you do T TLP Academy before we did coaching? No, I started it during like the one month before we started coaching. Since we were doing like remodeling and I went on vacation. So I just did TLP Academy right before we started. Yeah, I think I think that's a good option. I think, you know, there's sometimes we'll have somebody reach out and just go on, you know, the monthly payments or like, hey, I want to sign up for coaching, you know, they'll pay the first payment, get access to academy, we'll put things on pause for like a month or two, go through the content. I've done the mastermind the same way. You sign up, you 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 pay, and then we wait a month for to give everybody time to to go through the the content. So, 
Yeah. yeah. Any any thoughts that you wanted to to share on on that part of the process before beginning coaching? I feel like even TOP Academy was a pretty good start and baseline for a lot of things I was missing. And, you know, just having that baseline information really helped before coaching, before diving into, you know, my practice specifically. Yeah, I agree. It's, it's another way to kind of look at front loading the process. You kind of understand the principles, get a big picture idea of where we're going, and then we can kind of hit the ground, hit the ground running. Yeah, definitely. There's a lot of good stuff on there. Yeah. So we're only, we're, we're really still kind of at the beginning of our time working together. We're only a co- uh, couple months into, you know, really working on things in your practice. I think it would be great to provide listeners like some aspects that you have grown the most. So I think we kind of alluded to some things earlier, but what would you say is like, you know, the number one, the number two things, how you've really grown, pushed yourself outside of your comfort zone? Yeah. So I think thus far, just having those difficult conversations with staff and even patients has been the most important and impactful. Just being honest, genuine, and caring to you know our patients and even our staff, whether we're teaching them something new, treatment planning, just has you know shown the most impact on my practice. So basically, you've taught me that it's our job to educate and present what we see and it's their choice to you know decide what to do with that information and some patients prefer to do it all and just get it over with and we shouldn't project our own values of money or necessity onto the patient it should be you know only our job just to let them know what we see clinically and then they decide what to do with that like i said And even if they don't want to do the treatment now, that's fine. But it even helps to plant the seed. And I've been doing this before with Invisalign implants, but I needed to do this with crowns, bigger pros cases, and cosmetic cases. And, you know, just empowering staff, whether it's hygiene co-diagnosis through intraoral photos or, you know, even their presentation, or it's letting dental assistants do the most they can so I can have more time to do more important tasks. It's been really important. So let's back up. What were you doing before? So, you know, these are the these are the changes, you know, that you've that you've kind of made in the direction that you've gone. What has been different? So what was it like before and what specific things are you doing now that you weren't before? Yeah. So before I would, you know, do the usual pick whatever is the biggest issue, probably one crown and two fillings and, you know, tell them they need that this year. And then the next year comes through and then, you know, they probably need another crown because I was afraid of telling them everything they needed at the beginning. So it was just a negative feedback loop. So we weren't comprehensive the first time and now there's more treatment. So, you know, now we're just presenting all the treatment they need and then letting them decide, you know, in what order they want to do it, whether they can't afford to do all at once. And, you know, that's fine. At least they're prepared to do it in the future. Or, you know, sometimes they just want to get everything done with. No one loves coming to the dentist and getting injections. So sometimes they would prefer to get everything done in one visit. Yeah, I want to touch on what you mentioned, the negative feedback loop, because that actually came out during one of our coaching sessions. This is 
relatively common out there as far as you hear dentists all the time saying, okay, when you go and buy a practice for the first year, you know, maybe even two years, you need to just like, you know, just only pick one thing or, you know, don't just say everything looks pretty good, you know, unless there's an obvious cavity or something like that. And you, you build the relationship and then a, a year or two in, then when you have a relationship, then you start telling patients what their actual issues are because then you have trust at that point. And you had kind of done this a little bit where you had kind of picked, you know, the bigger issues and you, so, you know, a, a year, two years later or whatever, the patient's coming back and now you kind of have to decide, okay, do I, do I pick one more thing or do I tell them everything that's going on? And then even if you pick one more thing, then, you know, we were talking about in their minds, they're thinking, oh, I mean, I only had one problem last time and we fixed it. So now there's more. And so it is, that is, that is the negative feedback loop. It's basically the, you continue to make a decision to not be fully transparent and, and honest, sharing everything with patients. And so, you know, they get the work done that you recommend and then they come back and that, and then you're still dealing with the same issue that you were the first time because you weren't honest and open with everything the first time, then you have to deal with it over and over again, deciding if you're going to be open and share everything the next time. Yeah, I totally agree. I was definitely guilty of that. And I feel like in a sense, you're almost shocking the patient in that way. You know, why the patient would think, oh, why is the dentist so conservative the first two years? And then now all of a sudden I need five crowns. Like, does he have a new mortgage payment or what's going on here kind of thing? Yeah. Okay. So let's, let's jump to communication with your staff and how this these same principles apply there and then let's start to maybe talk through some some examples so you know maybe like specific conversations that you've had with patients or or you know I can share some some ways that I've had those conversations as well so what what are your thoughts there yeah so basically so tell me your thoughts there as far as you know, that same type of communication, but with your staff. Yeah. So as you've said before, everything starts with leadership. Once my practice started becoming busier as a result of presenting more needed treatment, I started to see more things fall under the cracks since my practice isn't systematized and I wasn't being clear with my expectations or the tasks I expected of my staff. And so I've been having more one-on-ones, more team meetings, just providing more feedback with you know what I feel like um, they're doing well and what they're not doing well. So just having better communication and feedback, I feel like has gone a long ways and they felt more empowered ever since I've been doing this. So, you know, I've realized you can't just have one staff meeting or tell someone a list of 10 new tasks and expect them to do it. You need to constantly remind them, constantly give them feedback of the things they're, you know, doing right or some things that could use some improvement. Yeah. Yeah. So specifically, I think you mentioned just, you know, right after they perform the task or do something correctly, you should 
instantly tell them like, hey, like I really like how you, you know, did did this. You know, and sometimes in front of the patient that way, you know, they feel good about it. They feel good about you saying that. And so they'll keep doing it. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Yeah. I, I totally agree. So like I said at the beginning, in this process, as far as changing, there's two steps in my mind. One is trying to identify the root belief or the root cause that's leading to this type of behavior. And then the second is to kind of figure out the technicalities, how to, how do we have these kinds of conversations. So as you, as you look back, is there a root belief that you can think of, a, a belief that you had that was not necessarily true that you were telling yourself that was holding you back from having these kinds of conversations? Yeah. So I think a lot of dentists and people in general, they just want to be liked. So, you know, with staffing, that means that you don't really want to tell people what they don't want to hear. And it's very difficult to have crucial conversations with staff. You know, it's, I heard a saying where, you know, we'd all rather prep 50 crowns than have one difficult conversation with our staff. And while I still think that's true, I think that having those difficult conversations with staff is necessary because it also gives them purpose when they're improving on, you know, something they're doing. And people generally want to be good at their job. They don't want to, you know, perform poorly. They don't want to be giving poor patient care. Yeah. And and how about with patients? Do you think it's pretty much the same, the same thing with, with patients? I think just being honest with them, you know, just taking those intraoral photos, just showing them like, hey, this is what I see. Yeah, you'd be surprised how many patients want to do the treatment right away. They say, oh my God, is that in my mouth? And they ask like, can we take care of it right away? So I definitely feel like, you know, the practice has been positively impacted in all of the changes so far. So let me ask you this. Do you believe at this point that it is possible to be completely upfront and transparent with patients and not scare them away? I think so. So, you know, everything that we do is basically like a muscle. So this hasn't been a concept or a practice that I've been doing for a long time, but I definitely feel more comfortable letting patients know everything that I see. And I remember when I let you know that we've been diagnosing more of the, you know, two, three unit crowns on single patients, you said, hey, that's great. Over the past month, though, have you noticed any patients that may have benefited from even five? So basically you told me that, you know, we're, we're doing good, but can be doing even better. And I really like that since it's pushing for even higher limits rather than, you know, like, hey, you've improved a little bit, like we can stop here. Yeah, I think it's interesting. The, the, the longer I go in life and more, and more that I experience, the more I realize we all are just really just searching for growth and improvement. That's what, that's what we want. We want to just continue to, to grow. The money is great and the, the numbers are good to follow. But ultimately, what it comes down to is, is us feeling good about ourselves, heading in a good direction and continuing to learn and grow. Yeah, I definitely agree. And it's kind of like lifting weights, you know, you get kind of depressed if 
the numbers stay the same and your progress is stagnant, you always want to be growing. And I feel like that's one thing with staff too. It gets boring doing the same thing over and over and over again. They also want to learn new tasks that benefits the practice themselves and the patients. Yeah, I totally agree. I think, you know, I've definitely seen clients that I've worked with where they've had maybe like an all-star employee that ends up leaving because, not because of pay or anything, but because they didn't actually feel like they could continue to grow. So yeah, I, I agree. I'd like to kind of touch on one point with kind of what you touched on at the beginning with when you kind of mentioned I don't remember the three three points, but basically trying to be, I, I think it was basically being honest, being genuine, and being caring at the same time. And in my mind, that's that's how that's how we that's how we do it. Once we can, once we can go back and fix that root belief where you know we've been telling ourselves that we have to have a specific relationship with the patient before we start to be completely honest, and then we recognize hey, you know, that's not completely ethical. I should be honest with every patient that I see. I mean, it's up to them what they want to do. So that's kind of the the root belief we can change there. And then when we're able to do that, then we get into the the how-to. And in, in my opinion, the more that you can be honest and transparent and genuine and caring, that's, that's the recipe. Because if you can point out to patients and say, oh, look, I'd like to show you this and kind of go through this with you. I know this may be overwhelming or maybe you've heard it all before. It's definitely a different situation if, you know, you've been seeing seeing this patient for a a few years. But even in that situation, you can say, look, I I really want to be honest and open with you. I'm going to just go through everything very detailed with you. Yeah. I've been seeing more of, you know, XYZ. I've been seeing more patients with teeth breaking and we have to pull them. And so I'm reevaluating my treatment philosophy, you know, whatever you need to be to share. But if you can, if you can show them everything and then just communicate with them like, hey, this is your mouth. These are your teeth. It's totally up to you how you want to approach this. If you, like you said, if you want to get it all done this month, we can. If you don't want to do anything, we don't have to do anything. My goal as your dentist is not to get you to do what I recommend. My goal as your dentist is to communicate openly, help you see everything, give you all your options, and help you decide what's best for you. And that's a perfect recipe where you can do all of those things. And in my experience, I that allowed me to be completely honest with patients, even with very big treatment plans, and not not offend or scare away anyone because... They knew that I was just trying to show them what I was seeing. I wasn't pushing them to to get stuff done. Exactly. And I believe you mentioned intraoral photography as, you know, like a top five must-dos in the practice. And I totally agree. I take a picture of every single crack in the mouth and I show them. So, you know, they they're seeing their own tooth. It's not like we're lying about the decay or the cracks on their teeth seeing is believing. And so just taking pictures of those cracks, the recurrent decay, they're, you know, once they see it, they're like, oh my God, yeah, I don't want that in my mouth. Let's take care of that right now. These same principles transfer over to staff as well. Conversations with with staff. You can you can be honest and open with staff, but you can be loving at the same time. 
is there any, can you think of any conversation that you've had to kind of maneuver off the top of your head where before you would have shied away from it, but you kind of said, no, I need to have this conversation and, and how you worked through it? Yeah. So I believe on our initial intake, I mentioned that one of my dental assistants, she was a little bit less coachable. I was more afraid to give her feedback because she seemed like she didn't want to hear it. She gave off a little bit of that attitude. But ever since we started coaching, I mentioned to you that she had a little bit of a coming to Jesus moment. So basically, I sat her down. I told her, hey, this is what I've noticed. This is how it's been negatively impacting the practice, myself and her coworkers. She actually, you know, cried a little bit at the meeting and said, you know, I didn't know this is the trouble I was causing. I know I can do better than this. And so far, she's improved quite drastically. And she's been, you know, doing things without being asked. She's been having a much better attitude at work. Still not perfect, still working on a couple things. But like, you know, I said, everything requires just constant feedback and implementation. But so far, we've been seeing a lot of improvement in that regard. So just having that one difficult conversation with her, I feel like changed her whole outlook with work in general and has definitely created a better culture around the office since before we were seeing that she we were seeing that she wasn't always giving off a positive attitude and everyone felt it yeah it's a great example and it's interesting because a decent amount of the time well at least some of the time those employees may not change after that conversation but again this goes back to the exact same thing that we that we talked about with um with patients with, with your patients, you basically say, hey, this is what I'm showing you. It's up to you what you want to do with it. It's the same with your staff. You basically, you know, that come to Jesus talk, you know, some kind of an ultimatum where you say something along the lines of, look, I would love for you to be here. I really appreciate, you know, these, you've got some really amazing characteristics and we can go so far with that. But if we're going to work together, I need to see some change. We've got some issues. Let's talk through it. And having that kind of a, a conversation, broaching the topic, it, it puts the ball in their court and basically says, look, this is, this is what I'm seeing. Are you, are you willing to address it? And you put the ball in their court the same way that you do with the patient. It's, it's again, the being honest, genuine, and caring. You know, If you can accomplish all those three in a dif- difficult conversation, it's going to lead to a much higher percentage of great outcomes. Yeah, I definitely agree with you there. Anything else you can think of on this topic specifically? Is there anything that you've put in writing or something to oh. make expectations a little bit more clear Yeah, for staff to in- in- improve yeah. performance? Yeah. So I think before I mentioned that some of the tasks I told my staff weren't clear. Some examples include co-diagnosis. So, you know, co-diagnosis, as everyone knows, is the hygienist or other staff members already priming the patient to, before the doctor even comes in, to, you know, let them know that they potentially need a crown or a root canal or something of the sort. So prior to coaching, I never actually went over with my hygienist pictures of decay, pictures of fractures, 
pictures of, you know, things I would present as crowns, Invisalign, implants, things in that nature. So even in the first month of coaching, I had a hygiene meeting and we went through, you know, a bunch of cases, a bunch of pictures, and I let them know like, hey, this, for this case, I would present a crown. For this case, I would do a filling. And that really helped them with clarity on just that alone helped them to see what I would present to the patient before I even came in. And that's made things a lot easier. They're basically passing the baton over to me and the patient's already primed to know that they'll need a crown. And, you know, it's been a lot easier for them to say yes to it. Yeah, great example. And I think that's that kind of goes back a little bit to honest, genuine caring. Like when when you're caring and and you can kind of evaluate yourself, like, okay, you know, kind of like you said, you kind of expect everyone to just be ambitious like you. You, we, we all just like would love it if all of our employees had an ownership mentality and just took things yes. on on their own. But that's not the reality. And so we have to we have to point the finger back at ourselves and say, what support am I offering? Are my expectations clear? Have I provided the training? And those questions will lead you to the solution to helping your staff improve. Right. Definitely. Well, I appreciate you being willing to talk to, about those principles. Is there any anything else that you want to share with people listening about your experience, what you've learned, or just any advice in, in general with practice ownership? Yeah. So I feel like my practice is still a work in progress, but I am a lot more clear on what I need to do to reach the end. And I feel like it's been nice to actually write down our practice and financial goals and work our way to see what numbers are needed to get there and basically reverse engineer our goals with the end in mind. I have a lot more clarity now and I know what I need to do to get there. I just need to actually do those tasks. Yeah, beautiful. I appreciate you sharing that. It is always a little bit surprising to me talking. I mean, I can be with anyone, but basically, you know, hearing them share like a very large, grandiose goal that they have. And then, you know, usually my next question is, oh, so how much do you need to do? What do you need to do this year to, to be in that position? You know, and a, a lot of times, I would say the vast majority of the time, the answer is not clear. And, and that, is, that is the key to making this happen. It is the difference between your vision and goals becoming a reality or staying a dream. If you can reverse engineer the process, you can figure out what you need to do this month, this week, this day, this hour. If, if you can be tuned in that finely to know whether or not you're in track, you are incredibly likely to hit your goals. Completely agree with you there. Well, I appreciate you taking the time. I know, like I said, you know, we're a few months in and already there's been a lot of progress. It's been a lot of fun working with you in your practice. And you are a guy that is on top of things, you know, very good communicator with me, staying accountable for things. And so I know, I know that you're going to go far and you're going to, you know, like you said <clears throat> at the beginning, looking at, you know, some of us that have worked three days a week and had, you know, quite a bit of time off every year. That's, you know, we're, we're on the path, we're on the way there and you're going to be there before you, before you know it. Yeah. I 
you know, just wanted to take my practice from good to great. And I feel like we're on the path. Well, thank you for taking the time. Donnie, if anyone wants to reach out and connect with you, is there a way they can do that? Yeah, feel free to add me on Facebook or you can email me. My name is Donald Yang and my email is dyangpacific at gmail.com. Awesome. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, take care. And we will, uh, thanks everybody for, for joining us on this episode. It's been a blast. I always enjoy these conversations, getting other perspectives of what it's like to go through this process and, you know, really kind of re rewrite your practice and, and figure things out. So thank you for taking the time, Donnie, take care everyone. And we'll talk to you guys next time. Bye.